0: to get involved in helping us continue to advance the gospel through media. And all of that information is right there on the website. But for now, let's go ahead and get into the Word of God together. I want you to join me in the book of Acts and chapter number 4. Book of Acts chapter number 4, let me get there with you. We have been studying the uh, early chapters of the book of Acts for uh, about eight or nine weeks and I know some of you are thinkers and you're saying, man, at this rate, you know, we're going to finish this thing the day before the Lord returns. We, we we don't know how long it's going to take, but I will tell you this, as we move on to the middle chapters, we won't be hitting as many consecutive passages as we have been. But the early uh, chapters and words that we find in the book of Acts, we believe, Dustin and I do, are crucial for Newbridge at a time such as this. And so, we are taking our time with it. I hope that your love for the Word of God, and if you've never been in a church where there is expositional preaching, that's just a $5 term that simply means you're going verse by verse through major passages of scripture that's what kind of church you're in as Dustin has already said we we want the power the presence and the uh, the, the wind of the Holy Spirit but we also want the anchor of the Word of God I call it green lights and guardrails the, the green light is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is the guardrails to make sure that as we are going in the Holy Spirit we don't waver off track and that's what the Word does so I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you're physically able to do so We do that with the opening passage and the opening reading each week, and I want to bring you a message called, In This Thing Together, and this message along with next Sundays is going to have, I believe, some trajectory. It's going to catapult us into some things that are going to really impact you, not only personally, but the corporate life of this church in the next six to nine months. Acts chapter 4, look in verse number 23. The Bible says, when they were released, that's Peter and John being released from their interrogation, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, here's Psalm 2 he's quoting, Why did the Gentiles rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now that's a lot of verses covering a lot of different aspects of the early communal life of the church. And I want to tell you, we're not reading a history book. And in some ways, what we're reading here, there's got to be a translation of it because it's kingdom truth. There's got to be a translation of it into your life and mine in the 21st century church. And so if that's going to take place, my friends, it's going to take more than us nodding our heads and saying amen to what we just read. It's going to really call us to think through these things, examine our own lives. And if I can use a big word that's not really mentioned in church a lot, we need to repent on some things. We need to say, oh, wow, I'm not going to say amen to it if I'm not willing to live it. And since I'm being called to live it, I need to go ahead and reorient my heart. And so what I love about Acts chapter 4 is that not only do I get to preach it, I get to get convicted by it, and I get to get transformed by it as I say yes to the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to pray that for each of you this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, Jesus, you taught us to take care how we listen you said that, Lord, to take care to how we listen. And so this morning, I pray that there will be an anointed ear, a couple of them on each head, Lord. Not only the physical ear, but the spiritual ear, the understanding. And so, Holy Spirit, we are told by the Master that you will bring us into all truth, that you will bring things to remembrance when we need them. And so we take on the cloak of a pupil this morning. And we kneel at the master's feet and we say, instruct us, lead us, transform us, and teach us. And Lord, we pray for that one who is dead to the word, that one who has no spiritual life, that one who has not yet been born again and brought to salvation through the merits of Jesus Christ. Awaken that soul now, Lord. Let that man, let that woman know that there's something hollow in his or her heart. And Lord, come and rush and meet that need in them like you did me those 20 plus years ago. Do it again today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. I'm going to spare you a lengthy introduction When we left off last time, if you'll remember, John and Peter had gone up to the temple at the hour of prayer. There was a man who was 40 plus years old who was a regular fixture at the the entrance of the temple, the gate that is called Beautiful. And so he lay there as a beggar year after year, decade after decade. And on this particular day, John and Peter went up, the Lord moved, and the Lord worked a miracle, a healing, restoring the man's physical well-being. That was a couple of Sundays ago when I shared that. Last Sunday, we saw that the religious the crowd had no pleasure in this man's healing. They didn't like the hooping, the hollering, the dancing, the shouting. They wanted to know who in the world gave Peter and John the authority to perform this miracle. And then at the very end of it, they pulled Peter and John aside and they do what religious power brokers do. They sought to intimidate them. They threatened them. And then they said, no more will you preach in this man named Jesus' name. No more will you do miracles in his name. You'll have to forgive me. Last Sunday when I read that, I got a case of the giggles. I, I was so amazed at the, the audacity, yet the stupidity of religious mindsets that dares to challenge the move and the power of God with their religious rules. And Peter spoke for all of us when he said to those group of religious leaders, you're going to have to figure out for yourself whether or not it's right to obey God or man, but we're going to obey God and we will continue to preach in the name of Jesus. So they leave that meeting and that's where we pick up today. I want to talk to you about being in this thing together. When we're talking about church, I'm not talking about a building that we go to a couple of times every week. That is not the church. That is the church house at best. You and I, as the body of Christ, are also called the church of the living God. We are the building, the framework, the body of Christ. And so when wherever we go, whatever we're doing, with whomever we might find ourselves, we are the church. And the church is not an assortment of individual lone rangers or pockets of little spiritual islands all setbacks. separated from one another, but the way that God has designed this is that you and I and all of our believers, really all across the world, we are united. It's not that we're going to be united in heaven. It is that we are united now. There is one church on planet earth right now, and it is comprised by every single individual believer that has bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, repented of his or her sins, and put, put their faith upon the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. In other words, you got off the throne and welcomed Jesus to sit on the throne, and you acknowledge him as Lord and Savior and ruler of your life. Anybody that has done that is, is the church together, collectively. We are the church. And so what I'm going to be doing in these next few messages is coming against the idea that church is somewhere we go on Sunday or a midweek service. That wherever we are, we are in a a fellowship, in a partnership. We are doing life together. And that is not a theology simply to be affirmed with a hearty amen. It's a reality that we've got to press into and begin to live out if we are going to make a difference in this generation that God has deposited us in. So I want to see in the beginning here that they were together in times of trouble. In verses 23 through 28, I'm going to move briefly through this because I want to get down further into the text. But they were together in times of trouble. First of all, again, the church was resisted. The context for the early chapters of Acts is that the church is being resisted. It says in verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priest and elders had said to them. I've already covered that. They, they were released from the interrogation. They go back to a gathered group of the believers. Remember, there were above 8,000 Christians in Jerusalem at this time. 8,000 that had been saved, most of them still in Jerusalem at this time. And so Peter and John go back to a group of them, and they begin to share that the elders, the religious leaders, the same people that crucified Jesus, the same people now were coming against the followers of Jesus, and they were ratcheting up their intensity. Now, nobody at this point had been martyred. Nobody had even been beaten. That's one chapter away. But at this point, the persecution and the opposition and the hostility against the church began verbally. Threats intimidations, laws being made, a refusal to acknowledge the right of those Christians to go about and spread the gospel. That's the way persecution almost always starts, by the way. It it is sought to be hindered with verbal threats. And when verbal threats don't come along, then there is the uh, physical imprisonment. When that doesn't work, there are the physical beatings. And ultimately, persecution culminates in martyrdom. And that would find the early church. But here, they come back in a state of being resisted. And they say to all those that are gathered... They're telling us we cannot preach in Jesus' name. They're telling us we cannot work the miracles that we've been seeing being done by the name of the Lord Jesus through our hands. They're telling us, threatening us, that we've got to stop this. Now put yourself in their sandals for a moment. That's not a great place to be. On the one hand, you've got the power of God moving in your own individual life. You're seeing the power of God move among the believers. But at the same time, you've got that human part of you that is acknowledging that these men mean business. They've already proven it when they crucified the Son of God. We'll go down into verses 24, 25, and 26. What did they do? Well, the church was resilient. Just let your Bible speak. When they heard it, when the news was reported, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and here's their prayer, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth also set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and His anointed. Now, watch this. Y'all stay awake here. When the bad news came, I like to note what they didn't do. There wasn't a social outrage. There wasn't signs of protest marked out on large-framed papyrus that they put on sticks and demanded their rights. There there wasn't a whining. There wasn't a crying. There wasn't a fomenting or a bemoaning and saying, oh, we're done for. Their, Their impulse, their organic spiritual impulse, when threatened from the outside, when it was coming at them from the outside, they didn't go downward. They went upward. They, they called a prayer meeting. They didn't even call it. It just it just came about organically. They realized that as the children of God, when an oppositional force comes against them, they needed to talk to Abba. They needed to get in the presence of the Father. And so immediately one of them, and the prayer is assigned to all of them, but it was likely one voice and then other voices joining in, they cried out to the sovereign Lord. They went straight up and they recognized right off the bat that God is sovereign. And then they incorporated Bible. Their refuge was prayer and Scripture, and they did it together. And they come together, and they they said to one another, or said to the Lord, Lord, we know that you have prophesied by David, and and that's our Psalm 2 that is quoted in part there, the first couple of verses, that the heathen would rage, that the nations would rage against you. And Lord, they've done this. They've done it, Lord. They came against your holy servant, Jesus. Some translations reference that holy child, Jesus. But the point being is that, Lord, in this very city, this psalm has come to pass. And now, Lord, what what they did to Jesus, they're now doing to us. You see, I love the fact that opposition and challenge and difficulty didn't send them pouting, didn't scatter them to feel sorry for themselves, didn't make them tuck their proverbial tail between their legs and, and, and live apologetically in the sense of saying, oh, we're sorry, we've caused a ruckus. They, they didn't go to the extreme of obnoxious bravado, but they didn't go to the other extreme of defeatism. And what they did is they oriented themselves upward. When it's coming from all sides, we get our orientation upward. And they found their refuge in the Word of God, Psalm 2, applying it to their lives, and then they also found their refuge in praying together. Uh, Just as a side note here, there are many opportunities for you and I to join with the body, the church, in prayer. Uh, We we have opportunities all during the week, not the least of which is right before service on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, we meet across the hall, and we get together with no express purpose other than to call out to God. There's no agenda, there's no big list. We wait on the Lord, we sense what He's doing, and we pray together. I don't know if you're aware of this, but our students gather together every other Sunday night and they spend three hours together. Do you know what our students are doing, our high schoolers and middle schoolers are doing for those three hours every other Sunday night? They're getting in the word of God together and then they're calling out to God together. These are our high school and our middle school students. There are opportunities. There is, uh, I believe every Wednesday night for some of the high school students and college students that they are coming together and they pray for about an hour before the Wednesday night services begin. Again, I think that's high school and college students. There's men's prayer meetings. There's women's prayer meetings. We have the Friday night regionals this coming Friday night at 7 p.m. in this room. Do you know what that's for? To call upon the Lord, to worship His holy name, and to intercede. That's what we do. We got the thirst service on the 31st of this month. There's gonna be four designated thirst services for Newbridge Church uh, between now and the end of the year. And we come together for the express purpose of experiencing the presence of the Lord, calling out to Him. And here's what's beautiful. In prayer meetings, it is almost more important what we more important that we discern what we are hearing more so than what we are saying. When we come together in times of prayer, yes, God welcomes us to utter our cries before Him just like they did. But there is absolutely a benefit in that when we offload what's in our hearts, God saddles us with what's on His heart. And there's this beautiful exchange that occurs. Prayer is important, friends, and uh, I-, I hope that you're praying individually. I want to assume as a believer that you are. But it's an entirely different dynamic when God's people, the church, come together and we lift our voices as one. And so when you hear of these opportunities, get involved. I'll be bold here. Every single member of New Bridge ought to be involved in some layer for a weekly time or at least every other week time of coming together with the body of Christ and praying. You will be strengthened, you will be transformed, and most of all, there is powerful fruit that comes from the garden of prayer, and that's what we're looking for in weeks and months to come now so they're telling the Lord all of this has come against us Lord Lord you prophesied this you said the heathen would rage and the Gentiles have raged against us and Lord even your own elect even Israel they've come against us nationally Lord they're not receiving the testimony of Yeshua the anointed one or the Messiah and they've crucified him here in this very city and Lord now they're coming against us but notice this it wasn't a whiny prayer It wasn't a poor, poor me. You're you're not going to see that much in the book of Acts. So look at verses 27 and 28. With all of this difficulty, all of this opposition, all of this threats, not empty threats, not hollow threats, but legit threats, the church was resting. The church was resting. Verse 25, or excuse me, 27 and 28. Look at it, it, says, For truly in this city we're gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, the one you anointed, Father, Herod came against them. Pontius Pilate came against them. The Gentiles came against them. The people of Israel came against them. But look at verse 28. They were used, in essence, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That's some weighty theology there. I I can't get bogged down in it just because of the time today, but this is what we all must train our souls to, to rest in. They were able, in theological infancy... In the early months of the church, they were able to look at what had happened to Jesus, and they knew that Rome, the soldiers and and the leaders, you got Pilate mentioned there, you've got uh, um, the others mentioned there, and then the Jewish leaders are mentioned there. They knew that these men were culpable. They knew that they were guilty of the decisions they had made. They knew that they had experienced treason against God by nailing Jesus to the tree. They understood the personal accountability. But I love their theology because their theology was supported on the framework. But God, you are sovereign and none of that took you by surprise. Why is that important? Because friends, we have to discipline our souls that when we are in seasons of experiencing opposition, resistance, maybe even persecution in some of your futures, that when you are being misrepresented, mistreated, uh, uh, people are, are stepping upon you, slandering you, or dealing with you in ways when there is betrayal or abandonment or abuse, there must be some kind of rest for our soul that God will take the most heinous acts of men and women and turn them sovereignly into the most glorious acts in his kingdom. And until we come to that place that we trust His sovereign hand in the midst of difficult and, 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 and situations that are agonizing to us, until we have come to discipline our souls to say, yeah, it's bad this way, but it's really good this way, then, friends, then we're going to remain in a spiritual state of confusion. The early church just knew it. They just knew it. Lord, this that has happened to Jesus was executed by ungodly men And yet, Lord, we know that Isaiah wrote that it pleased you, Father, to bruise your son. So they knew that in the midst of all the bad, God would take the bad and work it for their good. So the lesson that we've got to learn is the same, because it's easy to say, I see it clearly looking back in history, but can you appropriate it in present and hope in it for the future? What's going on with you and me? The, the, The application there is this. They had watched God, they had acknowledged God's working in the greatest treason ever committed against him, which was the rejection and crucifixion of his son, and they were able to say, you had a hand in that, Lord, we understand it better now post-Pentecost, we are seeing it better now, and so they're able to apply it to what they're dealing with. In essence, they're saying, you were sovereign in what Jesus had to go through, therefore we believe you are sovereign in what we are going through. And they were about to go through very similar things. Remember, please, Jesus told them that they would. Jesus said, oh, you're going to go where I go. And you're going to deal with what I deal with. There's a baptism awaiting you that you don't know anything about yet, but it is coming. And he spoke of their their death and their eventual martyrdom, which all of the apostles uh, experienced, the original 12. So let's go into verses 29 through 31. Together in times of trouble... Man, I feel just this prophetic kind of in me right now. I'm, I can't run too far with it, and I don't even think this is a stretch. I just hope that you're, you're, you're preaching this to yourself. Hellish times are coming for the church. Hellish times are coming for the church. And, and what you are, are seeing and witnessing, I, I, I'm going to tell you, it will, it will increase. There's going to be two things that are simultaneously happening globally with the disciples of Jesus Christ, with the Church of the Living God. There is going to be a constant pressure for us to bow, to dilute, and to merge with the world system. That pressure is going to be constant. There will be many that will do that. In the, in the latter times, there's going to be a departure from the faith, the love of many, and that's the love towards God, the love towards other, It's going to wax cold. That is going to happen, and there's going to be this soupy mixture of the world system and the church, and, and it's going to be hailed as this, one. Wonderful thing. Oh, isn't it great? The Christians have finally mellowed out. The Christians have finally come to the senses. The Christians have finally stopped believing their Bible. Now they understand like we understand and we embrace them. That's going to happen with a lot that profess the name of Jesus. That doesn't mean they're born again, but it does mean that they are under the banner of Christendom. But the other thing that's going to happen is for those that won't do that, those that won't merge, those that won't bow, those that won't dilute, those that won't embrace the world, there is going to come a ver- there's going to come some fangs against the church. It's going to come hot, it's going to come heavy, it's going to come strong, it's going to come in an increasing intensity right here in the United States of America. Mark it down, if the Lord Jesus doesn't return in the next decade, well, you can- this, this is not a prophetic stretch, this is clear, this is going to be happening to the point where church houses will be closed. It'll be illegal to the point where they, they will actually uh, begin to censor what supposed Christian leaders can say. You know there's already bills in state houses across America where governments are wanting transcripts of, of pastors' sermons to see if there's anything that violates uh, any kind of uh, um, uh, yeah, hate crimes, things like that, uh, prejudicial statements against certain segments of our culture. They're, they're getting their sermons subpoenaed. Now fortunately, it hasn't progressed that far in the church. Give it some time. We'll say, Jeff, thanks for encouraging us this morning. Well, listen, I don't, I don't want to encourage you with lies. What I'm tell, why, why am I telling you this? My question is this. If you're not prepared now, you probably won't be prepared then. So if you're not making up your mind in the days where the wind is blowing and the sun is shining, you're probably not going to be ready to make up your mind when, when the storm hits. And so these folks, they were doing it. Now, as, as we move forward, look, look in verses 29 through 31. They weren't only together in times of trouble, but they were together in power and proclaiming. Look in verse number 29. Here was their response and what they petitioned the Lord for. They prayed for God's unwavering provision here. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Hey, if you're a type A in the room, would you say amen? amen. Okay. <laughs> that was a type A. I heard one real type A. I was like, amen! <laughs> type A's ought to love this because this is the kind of stuff that people that are born for war, they love this stuff right here. I love the fact, and let me just, let me just share a little bit. Let me just step away. I'm, you can feel free to disagree with me right here. I'm just going to give you a little bit of my, probably a piece of my mind I shouldn't part with, but here we go. I I, I love that the fact that there is no sense of these Christians feeling sorry for themselves. They, they don't feel victimized. They're not whining. They're not accusing God of being unjust for letting some difficulty find them. Lord, we left all. We forsake everything. Lord, I've experienced some rejection from my family, and here I am trying to serve you, and now the government and the religious officials are coming down on us. Lord. And you know that kind of mopey, poor me attitude that is kind of pandemic in our generation the other thing that i think is even more noteworthy is they didn't ask god they did not ask god to remove the danger they didn't say lord obliterate him send michael down with a couple of his buddies and just speak the word of fire fire lord fire they didn't do that they didn't they didn't get all you know post-pentecostal on them they they just they just said now lord you hear what they're saying And what we're asking you, Father, to do, since they've turned it up a notch, empower us to turn it up a notch. Grant that with all boldness, we would keep being who we're supposed to be, saying what we're supposed to say, and doing what we're supposed to do. What can we learn from that? Well, I've just kind of taken you down a a few moments ago this kind of a not so pleasant thought about what's coming against the church in the future. And I'm, I'm just going to pastor Newbridge Church and whoever might be watching on live stream today just for a moment. Let me, let me just tell you how you won't make a difference in the kingdom. I'm going to keep hitting this. I'm going to keep hitting it because there's probably some out there that really need to get some buy-in into this. All of the Facebook rants in the world are not making a difference. They're not. I mean, anti-Trump, pro-Trump, who gives a rip? I mean, we've got to come to the place where you recognize that you only have a certain amount of words allotted to you in life. Don't squander them on silly Facebook posts that the only people that, that, that are reading them that feel good about what you wrote are the people who already agree with you anyway. You're not changing anybody's mind. We've not had somebody stagger in the front doors of the church on Sunday and say, I was an enemy of God, headed to hell, but one of your church members posted on Facebook, and I'm free. That's a little bit ludicrous, but that's the way I think the intensity with some people use social media as if you're gonna make this big kingdom difference posting about politics. It's silly. They weren't whining, they weren't complaining, but they were together. They got with other Christians, they got with their brothers, they got with their sisters, and they hunkered down in the presence of the Father and they said, Lord, The temptation may be that in the presence of these threats and intimidation, the temptation may be that we would weaken in our resolve. So we confess that and we say, never let it be, Lord. Give us Holy Spirit boldness to keep declaring that Jesus is alive. And so they knew their mission and they understood their assignment and they were not willing to cave in to pressures. Now, it's a little bit of a stretch to apply this because currently in our country, we're not being threatened with imprisonment, forfeiture of property, or death because of our faith. We're not currently facing those. Those are extreme things that are happening in the world and other places all of the time. I mean, they really are. We've got to branch out and listen to what the persecuted church in the world is going through. They're killing our brothers and sisters. They're robbing them and plundering them of their property. They're burning their churches down. They're killing their husbands in front of their children. They're ravaging their wives and their daughters. They're selling them into slavery. Why? Because they are followers of the cross. And so when I think of this, oh, God, help me. When I think of this, and I think of what gets us sideways in America, I say to you that we there are times where we should be ashamed at the things that cause us to break fellowship with one another. But the things that cause us to get a little uh, a crook in our step and we just uh, we feel uh, violated, we feel like we've been done wrong, we feel like that, that somebody has assaulted us because of some minuscule preference that nobody applauded. And it happens all the time, brothers and sisters. These Christians were about to, I mean, they could feel the heat. They weren't yet in the fire, but they were about to one chapter later. And they were just saying, God, give us boldness to keep pressing into you and to keep loving our community and, 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 and sharing the things that we are called to share. In the name of the Lord Jesus, may this church and all of the church be purged from this insidious, I'm taking my ball and going home attitude. Yes. It's straight from kindergarten hell. Yep. And brothers and sisters, we are maturing sons and daughters in the faith. i want to promise you something. Oh, the message, the outline is a wreck today. I just feel like. I'm going to promise you something. If you will discipline yourself to commit to a body of believers, a local assembly, and you will do life with them because that is where God has assigned you and he's not liberated you or assigned you to a different place, and you stay there long enough, I'm going to promise you something. You're going to be disappointed at various times. I promise you week to week, you will not get your way on all that you want to get your way. Neither will I. There will be things that you would do differently. Right. You're not going to love every song. You're not going to like every sermon. You're you're not going to always feel that you're validated. If you want to, you can walk around and and look for reasons why nobody likes you, and you will assign yourself the evidence to convince you of that. That's the way it works. But when you hang in long enough, and you're committed as a family, and you learn to endure the challenges in love, esteeming others better than you esteem yourself, that's where the Holy Spirit falls upon you. That's where you start getting rewired. That's where you start getting filled. Because God's not going to pour out his richest blessings and his fullness on people that are self-oriented. And so if the church can be delivered from this pathetic, if I don't get my way, I'm going to move on. Oh God, please help them to see that it's not about them getting their own way. And God, if they won't see that, help them to move on. Let it become somebody else's issue. But as for this house, as for what we're going to be in Newbridge, we're going to be diverse. I'm going to tell you something. There, there, there is such a pulse in my heart that God would make. Newbridge Church, which came formerly of Cornerstone and Meadow, two predominantly white churches, that God would take away, take away that, those, those former ways that we'd be a fit representation of our community, which is white, black, Hispanic, Asian, and anything else that might be there. That we need to see that. I'm going to be very honest with you. i've spoken to some of my african-american brothers in this church with what i'm about to say we i don't believe in affirmative action and especially in church leadership but when i look up today and i see us ordaining men and all of them godly men godly men the right men equipped men but i notice something over and over again it's very white it's very pale it's very caucasian it's very anglo so what, what do we do? We say, well, Jeff, do we want to give appearance and we, we just find somebody that doesn't look that way? No, we praise the, pray that God will raise up in this community and in the community at large, God will raise up people of different races to say, I'm stepping up, not so I can advance a cause for my racial people, but I can advance a cause for kingdom people. Right. So pray that God will raise up people with brown skin and black skin and white skin from all across our area. Why? Because friends, one of the things that God wants to do with New Bridge is to break the mold. Break the mold of Southern churches. Break the mold of Bible Belt, conservative evangelicalism. To say to the onlooking culture, here's what a real group of loving believers look like. That's one of the things that he's wanted to do. I become more and more convinced in my soul. That, that what God is doing with Newbridge in this season is not primarily activity, but He's setting us on a hill, and He's making us healthy, and He's saying to anybody, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what it needs to look like. And brothers and sisters, from that, yes, we will advance a mission. But I'm going to tell you, the first thing that God wants to do is use us as a sign in our community that says we have jettisoned off every lesser loyalty. We have thrown over... um unprofitable cargo and we have said Lord fill this place with all that you want to fill it with and Lord help us continue to represent you and brothers and sisters I don't know where I am in this message but I'm going to tell you there's just some things that God wants to do here he's not going to entrust it to a murmuring church as far as i know that's not epidemic there were years where i was pastoring where man i couldn't count the many things that were being said i I don't sense that now but i do believe that the work that the father wants to do through newbridge is so particular and significant that he's willing to put it on hold until the complaining is purged so that's the that's the reason why i say it isn't about me getting my way It's not about Dustin getting his way. And it's not about you getting your way. It is about us saying, God, what are you doing and will you let us get in on it? And his answer will be yes if we come with the right heart. Verse number whatever. Where am I? Yeah, verse 30. Thank you. They needed God's undeniable presence. I feel like I just preached that. But he says, they say, Lord, Grant us to have all this boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You know, many years ago, before I was a pastor, if I had preached this passage, I would have made verse 30 historical. I would have I would have said, yeah, that's what God did back then. That was my my paradigm, my theological paradigm about signs, wonders, and healing. God was very gracious to me, and... And led me scripturally out of that erroneous belief. And so now when I look at verse 30, I love what I'm reading there because while they were praying it, remember the thing that got the disciples in trouble in the first place? It was a healing. They did something that the religious people couldn't explain and the religious people didn't like that. So the religious people having no way, those leaders said it, they said, we don't know what to say, we've got nothing to answer them, what do we do? And some yahoo said, well, let's just threaten them and tell them they can't do this anymore. And all the guys said, yeah, that's a great idea. So they get Paul and John in there and say, now listen here, fellas. Stop it. And it was Peter and John. And Peter, Peter just said, not going to do it. <laughs> We're not going to stop. But it was the miracle that got them in trouble. Now, I love this because Peter and John and, and the group are now praying. And they say, Lord, hey, while you're giving us boldness, could you ratchet up the miracles too? Good Lord more signs, more wonders, more miracles. In other words, they didn't play it safe. How tempting it is when threats come against the people of God. When, when maybe you're being persecuted or devalued at work or in your family or at school and the pressure's coming against you, Because you are an unapologetic, Bible-believing, spirit-filled, pro-life Christian who doesn't believe in the murder of innocents, who has a a Bible-based belief concerning marriage and sexuality, and you're not apologizing for it. You're not grossly arrogant with it, but you're not apologizing for it, and the pressure comes against you. You know what the temptation is? It's, well, why don't we just kind of tame it a little bit? We like to domesticate certain parts of the gospel. Because, you know, we we want our faith declawed, lest it cause anybody some discomfort. And these guys didn't. They said, well, it was the miracles that got us in trouble. It was obviously the miracles that made them mad. So, Lord, more miracles. Give us some more. Why is that important? Well, because, um, you know, we can argue theology all day, and a lot of people do. Um, But it's really, really hard when there's an irrefutable miracle standing in your face and you have no answer for it if if you want to know why this is so important to me it's not because i want to be a part of a cool church that traffics in sign, signs and wonders and we can you know put it on our website and stuff i don't care about any of that it's because i'm looking for a move of god in my life that nobody can explain Everything I've seen up to this point, with the exception of a few blips on the radar, could be explained. I say that to my own you know, detriment, but I have a feeling it's probably true with most of you. Have we seen a few miraculous healings? A few. We have. Um, but not to the degree that I believe that God's willing. So, well, Jeff, God's sovereign. You already said that. Why didn't he just do it? Same reason he didn't do it in Nazareth. Jesus went to Nazareth, and they didn't believe him, and so the Bible says he couldn't do any miracles there, except he healed a few sick folk. Isn't that amazing? That the sovereign God who can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to whomever he wants, the Bible testifies that in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, because of the low expectation of the people, that nothing supernatural occurred, and it specifically says the reason was because they didn't believe him. And so, friends, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I don't believe God's changed. I don't even believe his ways have changed. I just simply believe that we have cultivated such a generationally low expectation of God to move that God is meeting us at the level of our expectation. So what's the answer? It's for leaders to get in the presence of God and say, God, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're not satisfied with what we see. We know you're glorious, we know you're great, but we haven't seen it in our generation. And so those leaders refuse to back down, they refuse to budge, they refuse to give in to the people that want to play a simply safe Sunday week after week. And they say, no, we need a move of God. We need a supernatural explosion of the presence and the power of God that religion and creeds and doctrines can't fully explain. And until that happens... Until that happens, unbelievers will continue looking at the church and saying, won't y'all just shut up? You see, when people start getting radically impacted, healed, and delivered, unbelievers say, we want to hear what you have to say. But when all they hear is our sermons, and when all they see is hypocrisy, and when everything is in the theoretical or the historical about what God used to do or what he could do, They look at us and they say, why would we want what you have? It's less than what we have. Because they don't understand the security of our souls in Jesus. They're basing what they believe on our Savior, wholly on what they see in us. And friends, they aren't seeing enough. Verse number 31. They receive God's unparalleled power. I'm just going to finish up on this point. I'm not even going to do the last point. We'll do it later. They received God's unparalleled power when they had prayed. The place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So they were praying there in that room. I don't know how long they prayed. I don't know who was leading it. Worship team, y'all come on up, please. And as the voices were being lifted, and you know how it works so often in prayer when one timid voice, maybe even an uncertain voice, somebody's got to be the first voice, and somebody breaks the silence barrier, and prayer begins to go up, and it's like a... It's like a a vacuum, it, it just brings other stuff through. And all of a sudden other voices start joining and it's like it's being sucked up into heaven by the just the, the willingness of God to hear and receive. And so these, these prayers start going up and if you'll allow me to just use my sanctified imagination, I just I can hear the volume and the intensity increasing because boldness is coming right there in the prayer meeting. Hope is being birthed right there in the prayer meeting. Those that were maybe worried and afraid when the news was first broached about about the, the authorities coming down on the church, maybe their initial impulse was, was fear or intimidation, and yet courage breeds courage. Hope gives birth to hope. And all of a sudden, the frightened one says to herself, oh, we're in this thing together. We're doing this together. I, I'm not alone. And... Peter's encouraged, and he's one of our leaders. And if, if, if he's okay, then I think I can be okay. And so that one begins to pray. And then there's a man, maybe, maybe he's a skeptic, and he's over in the corner, and he's saying, he's trying to reason, he's trying to rationalize his way through. He, he's going for a balance. He's hoping to strike a balance in between the threats of the authorities and the commission of Jesus. And he's hoping that there's a way he can maybe appease both. Then all of a sudden in the prayer meeting where they're talking about being bold and for the signs and the wonders and the healings and the power and the presence of God to come, that man starts thinking, well, why am I trying to assuage these religious leaders? They're never going to be satisfied. They're the ones that killed my master. And so he abandons that position to try to be friends with the culture to the extreme of, of, of not fulfilling God's call. So the crescendo goes up and then finally the text seems to indicate that as the prayers were coming down, you know, it's, when we sing, we know that that's the last song, that's the last note. When y'all just sense, okay, we're going we're gonna to be, this is the end of it. And it's the same way in a prayer meeting. You come and you, you start sensing the last couple of people that are praying, okay, the Lord's winding this hour up. And so you just sense it coming to close. And as they come to a close and all their voices went silent, God says, I've got something to say. And he shakes the whole place. Physically shook the whole place. Ground, walls if they were in a house, roof. It is, and listen, it wasn't an earthquake. The Lord shook the house. As, and you, you can let that, interpret that however you want. Let me tell you how I interpret it. God saying, I have heard you and amen to what you just prayed. I'm going to give you everything that you asked for because you read the very next line and it says they went out with what? Boldness. What did they ask for? Boldness. What did they get? boldness and they went out in boldness and they said lord let us keep proclaiming and what did they do they went out and kept proclaiming they just picked back up where they were before the discouraging news hit them and they said lord you are our strength you are our hope you make us uh, victorious you're the one who is the source of our valor lord you've got us up uh, up front up top behind side to side we're going out just give us the boldness not to cave in help us to be who you've called us to be help us to be those people together Now friends, that's a strength you'll never get sitting in your house by yourself reading your Bible perpetually. That's a strength that God gives to the church when they're gathered. Some of you are sensing it right now. You're gaining a new perspective on whatever your battle is that you walked in here with. You're saying, now I'm sensing God. Now I'm hearing God. Why? Because you came together in a place of no distraction. You entered into corporate praise and corporate prayer and corporate learning. And now your heart is being aligned to the God who wants to shake up parts of your life and say, I have heard you and now I'm going to bless you. Will you stand to your feet this morning? Hallelujah.